Well, we've come to uh, the end of Ephesians. This morning we'll be uh, looking at the very last verses, beginning at verse 21 of chapter 6. It's Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 21. Paul writes, But that you may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love from faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Amen. Father, we are uh, always grateful to turn our attention to your word because we know that it's profitable in every area of our lives for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You've given it to us for that purpose, and it is for that purpose that we give our attention to it now, that our our hearts might soar as it responds to your truth, who you are, what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And out of that come a deep, ever-increasing desire to live in a manner according to your word. Help us this day. You know how weak we are and how much we need the strength which you alone supply. Come to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I enjoy watching uh, programs on TV. Uh, Some of them uh, detail uh, building big things. Big buildings like skyscrapers and and dams and and, uh, canals like the Panama or the Suez. And uh, it's, it's always fascinating to me uh, when, I, uh, when I look at them, uh, how much understanding goes into building something. I mean, engineers have to take into consideration forces of stress, weight, time, aging, corrosion, heat, materials. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And if you're an engineer, you have you know, some appreciation of those things. And I remember one, uh, one program in particular that detailed uh, the building of Hoover Dam. And one of the most impressive things to me was the, the actual pouring of the concrete. Um, because, you know, they didn't, they didn't make it in just one monolithic pour. Um, apparently what they did was they, they, they made it, they poured it as a bunch of interlocking trapezoidal columns. But they only poured them five feet at a time. And they only poured them five feet at a time because they realized that if they tried to just pour the whole thing at once, the heat from the curing of the concrete would have taken 125 years to get to the ambient temperature. And in fact, in the process, would have caused cracks and destruction of the concrete itself to such a degree that the dam would have been absolutely useless. In fact, it'd still be cooling right now. It's not even that old. So the engineering necessary to to do something like that is just, to me, it's really complex. 
And I don't understand it. I'm glad people do. But what fascinates me is that when we come to a scripture like this, what we see is how astonishingly simple it is to build strong people, strong Christian men and women, to build them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because as we see from this text, there's nothing more necessary or required than words of truth. Words of truth delivered to one another in love. That's what builds up strong men and women of God. You know, Paul's been going through uh, this, this great epistle here, and he has been telling us of the unbelievable gifts to us of God in Christ, especially detailing it in the first three chapters. And, uh, you know, I mean, and he repeats these, these words. He repeats love and faith and peace and grace time after time after time. And interestingly, he comes right back to it at the very end of the epistle. Because more than anything else, as he, if you were, if he signs off this epistle, what he wants to do is remind the people there of all of these blessings that have come to them. Because to remind them of these things is to strengthen them, to encourage them, to build them up. Now, as you and I both know, Scripture calls us to do that for one another. We read one of the texts this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. We are to encourage one another. We are to build one another up. We are to strengthen one another. And so as we look at this text, I think the thing that is most helpful for us to see is that it's not difficult and that it's a marvelous opportunity and responsibility that we each have to to contribute in a really significant way to one another's lives. What we'll see here is that Paul encourages, that's the first thing he does, is he encourages the Ephesian believers through the, uh, through the mouth of Tychicus. The second thing he does is that he reminds them of all the great gifts that God has given them in Christ, and, and, and specifically for peace, love, and faith. And the final thing he does is he challenges them to grow in their love for Christ. Because there's no greater strength than one who loves Jesus. So that's the way he proceeds and that's how we'll proceed. The first thing Paul does is to encourage their hearts through Tychicus. You remember Tychicus, he's mentioned about seven times in scripture. Uh, He was basically one of the uh, individuals who, along with uh, Dr. Luke, accompanied Paul uh, on his uh, journey to Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, when he was arrested, uh, across the uh, Mediterranean to uh, to Rome uh, to uh, to be imprisoned. And uh, and he, with Dr. Luke, uh, hung out with uh, Paul in Rome, if you will, uh, trying to provide for his needs. And uh, at one point, Paul was really uh, uh, becoming concerned with uh, the Ephesians' desire to know what had happened to him. And so he sends Tychicus to him to, to encourage them about his, about his lot, about what's going on with him. Because he knew that the Ephesians, with whom he had you know, stayed for some 18 months, and knew well it wasn't a huge church at the time, were really deeply concerned. And what he wanted to do was allay their fears and really solidly encourage them. And Tychicus is his mouthpiece, if you will. He's the instrument that he uses in order to do that. 
Now, encouragement is, is something that we all need from time to time. There isn't one of us that doesn't become discouraged or dismayed or disoriented. And, and we need others to build us up. In fact, the text that we read in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that very thing. It talks about, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What this simply tells us to do is that we are to discern what's going on with our brethren around us. Be aware of where they are, what's happening with them. And be ready with an encouraging word, lest they become discouraged or dismayed. And that means really being thoughtful, being insightful, caring enough about people outside of yourself to to really be aware, to ask questions, to observe. It is, in many respects, active loving. <clears throat> One of the most wonderful things that uh, I think could be said of anyone was, uh, was the words that Paul said of Philemon. In Philemon verse 7, Paul says, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. That, to me, is just quite a testimony. To Philemon's influence among the brethren, he refreshed them. He would come and he would share, he would talk, he would encourage, he would laugh, he would cajole, whatever he did. He refreshed his brethren. And this is what we do when we encourage one another. We refresh their hearts. We, we, we call them back to center, to what's true and what's, what's real. We, we restore their perspective and their motivation, their footing, their hope. Encouragement is really a powerful instrument in the lives of people. I asked Ben if I could share this because it's just you know, a simple illustration of how that, that kind of thing happens. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he had to write a paper for uh, for school, and um, he asked if he could read it to me, and I, I said, yeah, and I, I actually stopped what I was doing so I could listen carefully, and uh, he read his paper, and I was, I was really, I thought it was the best thing he'd ever written, and um, not that he's not a good writer, but I was just, I was, un- I was duly impressed by it, and um, I told him that, and I didn't just tell him I thought it was really good. I told him specifically why I thought it was good. Because I didn't want to just sort of give him this, you know, glossy little, you know, thing. I wanted him to know specifically what made that a good paper. What made it stand out in my mind as superior to the other things that he had done. But I didn't stop there. I wanted him to know that I had an emotional reaction to that. That I was, that I was proud of him. That in my mind, what I saw developing there was the potential that uh, I knew that he had as a writer and as a communicator. That he's got great basic skills in that way. And that in that paper, it was just really clearly developed. Then I told him that I, I really, I thought that those gifts that, you know, um, that he has are fitting and in keeping with the thing that he wants to do. He wants to be a history teacher. To be a history teacher, you know how to, you have to have, be able to communicate, to be able to write, to be able to talk, to be able to bring ideas across. 
that I thought he was quite capable of doing that. Now, I want you to know that I wasn't just kind of ticking off those things, you know, like a little check mark. Bill, uh, Ben was not a, uh, what's your name? <laughs> ben. Ben wasn't an encouragement project for me at the moment. You know, I mean, I was just simply responding to him out of love. He was presenting something to me that he had done, and I wanted him to know, you know something? You really did a good job on this. I wanted to encourage him. Because I think it's true for most of us that our experience of ourselves tends to be our weaknesses, our failures, our shortcomings. And those are the things that we, they they tend to be preeminent in our own vision of ourselves. And it is good and necessary, and I think right, that others come along and, and remind us of the gifts that God has given to us, the skills, the opportunities, so that our we can have a more balanced view of ourselves and of one another. It is good to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to encourage each other. And it's good to be numbered among people like Philemon, who were refreshed by our presence, by our words, by our observations of them. Brethren, words of truth encourage people and strengthen their hearts. The second thing that Paul does to build strong hearts in the Ephesians is basically he reminds them of God's gifts to them of peace, love, and faith. Now these weren't new words to them, of course. Paul had talked about them an awful lot earlier in the epistle. But again, at the very end, he wants to remind them particularly of these gifts of God to them because they are such powerful ones. First thing he mentions is peace. He says, peace to all the brothers. Well, what does this mean? Well, we we know from looking at the epistle that there are several things that it means. The first is that it reflects the reconciliation we have with God through Jesus Christ. What Paul talks about in Romans 5.1, since we are justified, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, God's enmity, his wrath against us for our sin, has been set aside. We now have a friendship relationship with him, if you will. But it goes beyond that because Jesus tells us that uh, we have his peace that is given to us. So it's not just that we have peace with God. God gives us his peace. We have the peace of God that dwells within our soul. And and Hebrews had a word for it. They called it shalom. Right? It's 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 well-being. It's it's wholeness. It's, it's It's a sense of rightness and balance is what I wanted to reflect by choosing the ironic blessing that we read out of Numbers chapter 6 the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his face toward you and give you peace it is the promise of the experience of the peace of God and peace with God that Paul wants to communicate. But more than that, he adds here that he wants us to have peace to all the brethren, meaning peace with one another. So he begins at the beginning of the epistle with the peace with God, the peace of God, and now the peace with one another because of those first two. That's what he's coming to. 
And it is a beautiful thing, as you all know, that when you are at peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a great joy that comes from that. Then he moves on, he says, peace to all the brothers and the love. He doesn't want to just limit it to having peaceful relationships. He says, there's something more substantial, and it is the fact that we love each other. March uh, 1978 Reader's Digest, there was a a brief little uh, illustration uh, by a Sunday school teacher. He apparently wanted to uh, give his kids, they, they they were five years old, Okay, he wanted to give them an opportunity uh, to uh, <clears throat> celebrate or show off something that they, they loved about St. Patrick's Day. So he says, I want you to bring in something that you love that's green next week. And, um, and sure enough, they did. You know, they, they walked in with the green sweater that they loved or the green hat that they loved or, or the, uh, the green uh, books that they loved. And then this one kid walks in, and he's got the, the biggest grin on his face. And, and the teacher couldn't quite figure it out until all of a sudden he looks, and in behind this kid comes his four-year-old sister dressed in a green dress. Because she was the thing that this boy loved the most. It was green. His sister. And that's precisely what should characterize us. This extraordinary love for one another. I mean, that's what Paul says in the very beginning of this epistle that so impressed him about the Ephesians. He says, they loved one another. He says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And notice that he said that they didn't just love some of the saints. They loved them all. Everybody in that congregation loved everybody else in that congregation. It's not easy. We know. But the Ephesians did it. And the reason they did it was because God has given us everything necessary for that love. First, he's poured his own love into us. And he's made it possible for us to love others because we've first been loved by him. And the only thing lacking is the will. And when we exercise the will to love others, Paul says God takes that and he uses it in extraordinary ways. And what makes a person stronger? Think about it. What makes a person stronger than to know that they are loved by someone? Well, the third thing he uh, mentions here is faith. Love with faith. And we know that Paul, when he speaks of faith, is talking about both belief and trust. It's not just enough to, to, to know the facts about something, especially about God, but you have to actually act on those facts as if they are true and worthy and uh, trustworthy enough to, to place the entire weight of your life on. That, for Paul, is what real faith means. And he wants them to to take deeply into consideration who God is and what he has done and to live accordingly. And as you and I, as we experience a well-placed faith in a God who who is trustworthy, what do we find but the fact that our, our faith is strengthened as well? 
And so what Paul has done here in this, this particular verse is simply to remind them of these fundamental truths of peace, love, and faith. And that focusing on those things strengthens us and enables others to be strengthened as we call their minds to it as well. Finally, Paul does one other thing. He challenges them to maintain their love for Christ. In verse 24, he says, Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. There's a story told about a man who approached heaven's gate and uh, was met by an angel who basically said, Hold on a minute, I need to to find out if uh, you're worthy enough to get in. And uh, apparently he said, well, what do you need to know? And he said, well, well, you need to tell me uh, everything that you've done in, uh, uh, in your earthly life that's, uh, that's worthy of, of heaven. Uh, because you need a thousand points to get into heaven. So um, the guy uh, begins to get a little uh, nervous. And he says, well, he says, I, I've been going to church uh, uh, almost every single Sunday all my life. The angel says, that's, that's great, he says. That's three points. <laughs> And the man uh, looked a little shocked, and he says, only three points of gasp? And the angel says, yeah, it's only three. You need, to go, you need a few more. And so the man says, well, he says, I was a Sunday school superintendent. He says, and I, I played the organ when there was nobody else there, and I, and I tithed, tithed, and I tried to be a good neighbor. angel says, you know, that's excellent. He says, that's ten more points. And the man's eyes began to roll back in his head. And he said, he says, at this, at this rate, he says, I, can't, I won't be able to get in except by the grace of God. And of course, that was exactly right. Nobody gets into heaven except by the grace of God. And the illustration works except for one thing. You can't earn three points or ten points or any points with God. Right? Everything that he had done was worth zero. In fact, probably a debit. Grace is a free gift. And that's what Paul says. He says, we have been saved by grace through faith. And that not of itself. It is the gift of God. Meaning the faith to believe is also that gift. Now the point is, is that what Paul is saying here is that it is good to have faith. Good to enjoy that grace. But you cannot have it unless it is connected to a deep and ever-increasing love for Jesus Christ. That it's one thing to receive the faith it's one thing to experience the grace of salvation but unless one loves Jesus Christ and continues to increase in their love for him, you're going to lose it. Not lose your salvation, of course. You're going to lose that sense of joy of your salvation. I mean, Jesus says that loving him is the most important thing in the entire world, right? Matthew 22, he says, A lawyer asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. And that's because loving Christ is the absolute most important thing we can do. And for those of us who do, what happens is that we experience 
the grace of God in our lives in an ever-increasing manner. That's what John says in, uh, in his first chapter. He says that we have received grace upon grace. Grace is just heaped on us. Big piles of it, if you will. More than the snow. It's quite wonderful. The question is, of course, do we actually increase in our love for Christ day to day, year to year? That's, that's really the question we have to ask ourselves because it's so easy to, to just sort of cruise along on, uh, on cruise control, if you will. What does it mean to love Jesus more anyway? If I were to ask you, how do you increase in your love for Jesus on a regular basis? What practice would you do to increase in your love for Christ? What would you, what would you answer? Seriously, this, this is a real question. You can give me a real answer. Spend more time reading scripture. What's that? Spend more time reading the scriptures. Okay. Spending time reading the scriptures, Chris? I just was going to say I read my Bible every day. Okay. Prayer. Prayer? All right, what else? Engage them throughout the day with everything you're doing. Ah, that I contend really puts the rubber on the road. When you when you sin, what is the first thing you need? You need to know that you are forgiven, and you are forgiven for His sake. When a good thing comes to you, what is its source? Its source is Christ. When you have a hope, when you have a need, who can possibly provide it? It is Christ. When you see Washington in gridlock or, or the meltdown in Greece, where do you think real wisdom and power lies? Certainly not in Athens or Washington. It's as we bring the events of, of our everyday lives and, and lay them next to Jesus Christ that we see how absolutely impossible it is for the things of this world to fulfill, to satisfy, to really provide the hope that we need for everyday life. That it is Christ and his beauty alone his power, his wisdom, his goodness. That satisfies our souls. And that's what increases our love for him. Reading the scriptures and praying, are, they're, they're good things. We need to do those. Because we understand him truly in doing that. But I think it's really important that we, we keep him as, as uh, present in our everyday lives in comparison with everything else that we're doing so that our perspective remains biblical. Now, I'm going to confess something as I begin this, this my, uh, my conclusion, that this illustration, when I read it, I almost fell out of my chair. So if, it's, if it gives you a chuckle, I'm, I'm not surprised, but 
um, there was an old fellow in the North Woods who had been camping there by himself for about two weeks. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, he was a grizzled old guy, uh, unafraid of almost anything. And um, he, had a, he had a daily ritual at dusk every night. He, he built a campfire, and he would, uh, he would put on water for his coffee, and he'd take out a skillet, and he'd put a slab of bacon in there and, uh, and cook it up for his supper. One night he was doing that. He was uh, he had his he had his water boiling for his coffee, and uh, and the and the bacon was uh, was just about done. And all of a sudden he hears this this just terrible trashing and, and thrashing in the woods. Trees falling down. He didn't know what to make of it, but it was the loudest, most disturbing thing he'd ever heard in his life. And he turns and he he sees this enormous bear coming out of the woods into his clearing. What made it worse was that there was this, this tough-looking ombre holding a seven-foot rattlesnake riding this bear. And this guy who's riding the bear hauls him up to a halt, screaming and yelling at the bear, rips the head off the rattlesnake, throws it into the weeds, gets off the bear, punches him between the eyes, knocks him out cold, walks over to the guy's campfire, picks up the skillet of bacon and bacon grease, gobbles the thing down, then follows it with a whole pot of coffee and turns to the guy and says, partner, he says, I'd like to stay and talk for a little while. He says, but I got to keep moving because I got this real bad dude coming after me. Well, Brothers and sisters, you and I have a real bad dude coming after us too. Paul's been telling us that since the beginning of uh, of chapter 6. And his name is the devil. And Paul, what he has done, he's outlined the way in which we can deal with that. He says, first, put on the armor of God. Secondly, persevere in prayer. And thirdly, he says, strengthen one another with the truth of God. Encourage your brethren. Remind them of the good gifts of God in Christ. And stir them to love Jesus more and more every day. Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, we are grateful for your mercies to us. Thank you for this, uh, this wonderful book of Ephesians that we've been studying we recognize that uh, we could uh, study it again immediately and glean new and uh, important things from it. But for the time being, Lord, we set it aside, grateful for the time that we've been able to spend here, and pray that you would uh, take its truth and deeply penetrate our lives with it, cause us to live accordingly, and in that, Lord, to find that our greatest joy is in Jesus Christ. And our strength, our peace, our hope, Lord, is all deeply grounded in him. And not in our circumstances, not in our fears, not in our concerns, or even our hopes and dreams. But in Jesus Christ alone. Do these things for us, we pray. That we might be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. In him. Amen.